Hi, I'm Gracie Sarkeesian, the Executive Director at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We are excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoy this episode. This is Miriam Miller, your host for today's episode of All in a Day's Work. Today, we're talking to Sarah Edelman, an NYU alumna and assistant vice president at the New York Foundling. She also has a private counseling practice and is an adjunct professor at the university. Sarah, very happy to be connecting with you today. Thanks. I'm excited too. Can you start by talking a little bit about what you studied during your time at NYU and what you've been doing since you graduated? Sure. So I went to NYU in 2010 for the Master's in Mental Health and Wellness Counseling graduate program at Steinhardt. I did my internship at New York Foundling working with kids in foster care. Since then, I've continued to work at New York Foundling. I started out for a program that was associated with the FAP program in Family Court, and that's the Family Assessment Program. And These were families that went to family court because they needed some sort of help or support. Um, So I worked with families in that program for a few years. And then after that, I was a lead therapist in that same program. And then ultimately, I became a supervisor in a respite program. And in that program, we would have kids stay in, in foster or respite homes for 21 days just so that they can have a break from the conflict that was happening at home, and then they would come back home. That wasn't the best fit for me, and so I ultimately decided to um, get back more into therapy, and I started working for a program called PICO, and I was one of the founding supervisors. That program is based on working with children and adolescents who have a mental health diagnosis and have been to the hospital or the psych ER. I was a supervisor in that program for five years up until last year when I was promoted to assistant vice president for a preventive family therapy program. I decided to add additional branches to what I was doing for my career. And so about three years ago or so, I decided to start a small private practice. Also around the same time, I I started to adjunct for pretty much the same program that I went to, except for this program is all online. And I teach internship and practicum classes. So what I do is I really kind of help the graduate students process their experiences with clients for the first time. And we talk about what they're going through and what they're learning and how they can become better clinicians. So as you talked about, there are a lot of branches to what you do currently. So you have your full-time work at New York Foundling. You also have your small private practice and then your adjunct work. I definitely want to talk to you about these different roles, but if we can start in a little bit more of your current full-time job at New York Foundling, what does your current role look like? In my current role as AVP, so Assistant Vice President, I do a handful of things. One, it involves me supervising the supervisors. And so in my program, there's two supervisors who run teams. They each run their own team and they have a handful of therapists working for them. So I work with the supervisors to make sure that they're doing their best job as guiding the team, making sure that they're strong clinically and making sure that their team is meeting their goals. I also interact with stakeholders and oftentimes those stakeholders are with Child Protective Services. And with that, we talk about referrals. We also talk about just how the program is doing, if we are meeting certain goals. So I'm in a lot of meetings. That's that's 
a bulk of what I do is I, I kind of meet with supervisors. I meet with my team. I meet with ACS. I meet with my own supervisor or, or the v, one of the VPs. But also when I'm not doing that, there's a lot of work that I do on the computer where, I, where I'm analyzing data, just making sure that, one, we are seeing our clients and we're servicing them in the best way possible so that they're getting their needs met. And two, making sure we're documenting it. Um, that's, for better or for worse, a big part of my job is making sure that we're kind of compliant with OMH regulations, Office of Mental Health, ACS recommendations, OCFS, Office of Children and Family Services. So there's a lot of regulations that we need to be aware of. And I'm kind of, I'm one of the people who really monitor to make sure my program is aware of those things and following those guidelines. So in terms of the other roles that you've had there, do you feel like when you started at that internship as a student, you really had to advocate for yourself in order to move up in the organization? Or did these opportunities just present themselves to you? I think it's a lot of me advocating and some of them presenting themselves to me. When I was an intern, I was so nervous about getting a job after graduating. And I was really lucky because I applied internally at the Foundling. And I think that's honestly probably what got me the job is that they already knew me and they trusted me. But every step along the way, I've, one, had really great supervisors. And also with those supervisors, when I felt that I was ready for a new opportunity or a new role, I would be very clear with my supervisor or mentor about that, about what I wanted to learn, what I wanted to see myself as if I wanted to move up into a supervisor role. Like I was very clear about my intentions and my desires to, to move up. And I think that was a big part of what did help me ultimately get promoted and, and get moved to different programs that I found interesting. The other part is, is that my organization has been really great about fostering growth opportunities. And so having those present and me being able to say like, hey, I'm interested in that and being confident that my supervisors or my mentors would support me in that journey, I think a combination of those things helped me to get promoted and helped me to get higher roles. It sounds like there was a real mix of having open communication with your supervisors and your mentors, and then it also sounds like there was a structure or culture that supported that as well that made it possible. I'm curious if you have any advice for people who are unhappy in their current roles or don't feel like it's quite the right fit for them and who are thinking about pivoting to something else, but who might be afraid to begin that conversation with a supervisor. Yeah, I think that some of my advice around that would be that, one, if you have a supervisor who's in tune with you and you have a good relationship with your supervisor, which not everybody does, they might be aware already that you're unhappy. That's what I've found is that it starts to come out. And granted, I'm in a field where most of us are therapists or have been trained as therapists, so maybe it's more obvious. And it'd be great if they brought it up, but sometimes they don't. And so it's really up to you to be able to voice how you're feeling if you feel safe and comfortable. Obviously, not everybody does. Not everyone has a good relationship with their supervisor. Some people may fear that it might jeopardize their job if they talk about being unhappy or wanting, you know, to move into a different role, which is really scary. And if that's the case, I've also gotten a lot of help from my peers and my colleagues 
I've been particularly close to people who graduated with me from NYU. And actually for my adjunct position, I was in touch with someone who was a school counselor and had started adjuncting for NYU before I did. And I just expressed to her, like, I'm super interested in that if the mental health and wellness program ever opens up. And she was able to connect me to the right people to put my resume out there um, with other applicants. And so I would say own where you are, whether that's with your supervisor, whether that's with your friends or colleagues, and kind of put out there, like, I am looking for something new. We'll be right back to our episode after this quick tip from Edwin Ragas. So what happens when you don't land the job or internship you wanted? Well, first, accept the news gracefully and ask the employer for feedback if they're able and willing to share. Then spend some time reflecting on what you did well and what you could have done better. A lot of the time, interview skills are what get in our way. Take time to practice interviewing. Maybe that's through resources like Big Interview or meeting with a career coach for a mock interview. If there are skills gaps or areas for you to improve on, take the time to develop them. Maybe take a course on LinkedIn Learning, find ways to gain experience in that area through a class assignment, or find a volunteer opportunity that'll expose you to that. Think about this. When you're at a train station standing on a platform about to step on the train, the conductor says, mind the gap which is the space between where you are and where you're trying to get to. As it relates to your job search, think about whatever this gap is for you and do what you can to fill that gap so that you can move forward with ease. And finally, keep going. Keep networking, keep applying, and keep trying. And now, back to the episode. know it's time to start looking for a new position or that it's time to have those conversations with a supervisor? Yeah, I mean, for me, again, as someone who's a therapist, I am a very emotional and sensitive person for better or for worse. And so when I start to feel not as motivated, when I start to feel potentially like I'm happy or really tired, I start to notice I'm just not as psyched about waking up for work. And it's not just a week, you know, it's not just a week here or there, it starts to become a daily thing. That's when I realized that I need a change. I've been lucky enough to have those opportunities. And I know that not not every agency or not every company has those roles available or has that flexibility or fluidity. It's It's really been kind of me noticing that I would be happier learning something new and I would be happier testing out different skills and like being given that opportunity to try it and see how it goes. And I've done that, like just to say, I, I've done that and it hasn't been the best decision for me. There was a time when I did transition to a supervisor role and I didn't feel like it was a good fit and I was really stressed out and I was really unhappy. And I transitioned from that role after less than a year, I transitioned into another role because I was just like, I'm so stressed and I, I, didn't feel like I could handle it. I'm curious also when you were in graduate school, did you imagine ending up in more of a leadership or administrative role like the one you have now? Or were you thinking about something else that looked a little bit different at the time? Yeah, totally. I was thinking about something completely different. I went to grad school with the idea that A, I would 
come out full-time private practice. I would be kind of like those therapists you see on TV shows and <laughs> I don't know, have a couch, all of, all of that stuff. Or I thought that I would, I would work as a, at a college as sort of a college counselor. I am doing private practice, but it's definitely not full-time. And I have had opportunities to try to pursue college counseling. And ultimately, after I've taken this path, I realized that it wasn't for me. And that was, that was a journey for me. That was a hard road for me because I came to realize over the course of the last eight, nine years that I actually really liked some of the administrative work. I thought that I was going to be full-time counseling, like, you know, down with documentation. I don't know. <laughs> but, but actually, I really like a mix of the two, and, and that works much better for me. I was finding, as I was trying to make the choice of whether to go up administratively or whether to, to just start my private practice full-time, I was having a lot of anxiety around it. I was realizing the more client-facing work that I was doing, the more anxious that I got. And after talking with my own therapist about it, I started to accept that doing full-time private practice probably was not for me. Like I had said, I'm a sensitive person and I, I take on what happens with my clients. And I was realizing that the more that I was seeing clients, the more burnt out I was getting. And so I had to accept that I love doing therapy and it's not something that I can do every day, eight hours a day. So doing this kind of mix where I get to do administrative work so that my computer really think and strategize, help support other therapists in doing what they're doing while still seeing a handful of private practice clients was a much better match for me. And that, that took a while for me to, to accept about myself and understand about myself. How have you been able to come up with a schedule that feels manageable for you? Yeah, I think I might be telling you a different story if and when things are different with the pandemic. I changed roles to my AVP role in March. So I've been doing this AVP role entirely remote. I've probably been to my office maybe a handful of times. And at that same time, I switched from seeing clients in person to seeing them also through teletherapy. And I've always done my NYU adjuncting remotely. So that wasn't a change, but I don't have to travel anywhere, which makes my scheduling a lot easier. I really set aside my nine to five sometimes later for my administrative job. And then maybe like 5.30 to 7.30, depending on the evening, I'll have clients. And then there's other evenings where I teach one evening a week and I teach from 7.30 to 9.30. And in there, there's breaks, right? Like if I'm teaching, I'll go on a walk with my dog before I teach. If I am having my clients, like I'm usually done by 7, 7, 15, I still have time to eat. I still have time to unwind and who knows, like watch something on Netflix. So I've still created space where I have space to do self-care and I have space to just spend time with my partner and my dog and decompress. But I might be singing a different tune when... I have to commute to work every day and I might have to adjust my schedule again. And I know that I'm open to that. And I'm really considering doing teletherapy even after the pandemic. Hopefully my clients will come along with that, but I can imagine it's going to be really hard. It, I'm, maybe I will get burnt out once I've got to travel everywhere. 
you mentioned some of the benefits of being able to work remotely in these capacities, right? But I would imagine there's also some challenging aspects. So I'm curious if you feel like doing work from home poses challenges for privacy for you or your clients? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a really rough go of it for the first part of the pandemic because me and my partner were living in a studio together and also with a dog. So I would basically make him leave. Well, I would make him leave every time I had a session. So not great, (laughs) not great for him and really difficult for me because privacy is so important, right? And we didn't have separate rooms and, and, when it got cold, oh, it was terrible. And that was one of one of the reasons we, we thought about moving earlier than we had originally anticipated. And for my clients too, I mean, some of them live with partners, live with family, and I can imagine don't feel that they have the privacy that maybe they would have in an office. I know some of my clients have gone on walks and things like that, and that's helped them feel maybe a little bit better if they're talking about a topic that they don't feel comfortable sharing with somebody else. I went through the same thing living in a studio and I had my own therapist and I was like, I don't know if I want to talk to you about stuff. This is (laughs) like, what am I going to have to sit in the bathroom and put on white noise? Like, you know, it's, it's, there are definitely some challenges. I would say now, like I have a separate office. I put on my white noise. It's, that's been easier, but there are definitely challenges to this. And I can see why some clients wouldn't prefer teletherapy. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how things are for you right now in terms of what you feel is most rewarding for you and what motivates you to work every day. Yeah, I really like, I think it's, there's three things and it's actually one thing from every, every job or role that I have. First of all, I really like working with the supervisors who work for me. I've been working with them for a long time. I actually brought them over from a different program I was working with, and I really trust them. It's really nice to see how much they've grown and how excited they are to support the therapists who work for them. The other things that keep me motivated are when I have a good session with one of my private practice clients, when I feel like we're really in a flow and we're talking about things that that matter to the clients and the clients making connections among the things that have happened to them and the ways that they act in their life and making connections to how they can act in the future. It feels really nice to have those aha moments with clients and they don't happen every week, but they happen and they're great. And it's also really nice to have sessions where clients feel comfortable being vulnerable and talking about the really sad and deep and scary things that have happened to them and feel safe doing that with me. I feel really honored by that. The final thing is working with the students from NYU. It's so exciting for them to kind of learn things about themselves for the first time. And every experience for them is such a big learning experience. And I love when they come to class and they share that and they support one another. I love like we, we do it through Zoom and our sometimes our chats are so active. It's just people being like, you did a great job. Awesome. That gave me an idea. It's just 
a lot of support and excitement. And that reminds me of how excited I was when I started. And that fuels me as well. I want to thank you so much for talking with us today. Your insights have been very valuable and we've loved having you join us. Thank you so much. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log onto our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Miriam Miller with episode guest, Sarah Edelman. We're produced by Miriam Miller and Lily Smith, edited by Lily Smith, and created with support from Mia Beresford, Danielle Crystal, Haley Garofalo, Diana Mendez, Joseph Mercadante, Carrie Pannoni, and Sarah Rosenthal. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening.